Your host today is Carol Tallop and myself, Brian Fox. Okay, so today we have Richard Collins, CEO and founder of Walford Private. Thank you so much for coming in today, Richard. So you might just talk to us about Walford Private. You're involved in wealth management. Yeah, so thanks for having us. Um, Walford Private is a wealth management company and we're Irish owned. Uh, we were established in 2012, but the client bank has been moving for a long time before that. Uh, we look after company directors um, across Ireland um, from a wealth management perspective. We show them how to protect, accumulate, extract and retain wealth. Um, so, yeah, that's basically in a nutshell. Okay, and obviously when we're talking about wealth and retaining wealth, from our point of view, property is the key way to do that. So I assume that's something you're involved in? Yeah, so we have property plays. Um, people like to have property in their portfolio um, as part of a diversified uh, approach to invest in. But what we find more and more is that people don't like the volatility of the stock market. So the correlation between the different asset classes, people might look at their uh, funds on a daily basis and they'll be up and they'll be down. What they like about cash, our property is that they have cash flow. So uh, what they see with property is cash flow rolling into their uh, to their portfolios and um, it's fixed. When it goes in, it's in. It doesn't move the next day unless there's expenses. Mm-hmm. So yes, the last, I'd say the last 12 months, um, especially we've seen a bigger uh, move towards uh, more heavier weightings of property within portfolios. Well, that's interesting, mm-hmm. and particularly when you talk about the volati- volatility of the stock exchange, because on balance, you know, property has outperformed the stock market, but but only barely, actually, a- after the last crash. So from that point of view, the people who are coming into you, like, what's the profile? What kind of money are you talking about? Are you are you dealing with mom and pop, or who are you dealing yeah, with? Yeah, we're dealing with, uh, again, as I said, our, uh, we set Walford Private up to look after company directors, um, and because we bring them on a journey from protecting wealth up to selling their business and everything that happens in between. But again, like our, uh, without giving the secrets away, um, we manage pension funds, we manage personal money and business money, um, but we find more and more it's the pension money that is going into uh, property. And the reason being is there's a lot of government incentives that will give mm. people uh, certainty of cash flow into the future. So um, there's 25 year leases available with 80% of the the market rent available and um, guaranteed by uh, the councils and the, the government. So uh, when people come into post retirement structures like ARFs, uh, they have certainty that they can get a return above 4% um, and maintain the value of the fund as well. So when you talk about pensions, do you mean um, people's individual pension as in you're not really dealing with the larger investment, um, I suppose, the, the larger pension funds? It's yeah, so more you're administering on behalf. Yeah, so what we would do is we would uh, we would steer clear of group schemes because mm-hmm. it's not our appetite. Um, we focus on the individual company owner and maybe the spouse or the other uh, directors that might be involved. Um, they've much more freedom of what they can do with their pensions as well. Group mm-hmm. schemes, if you're in a, a large multinational uh, group scheme, you're kind of bound um, by the trustees, whereby you would have to buy funds or uh, wh- whatever uh, the consensus was with inside. But as a company director, you can buy those funds, but you can also buy uh, direct property, so mm-hmm. commercial or residential, and you can rent it out and get tax-free rent and tax-free growth on the money. So it's very attractive for people. Okay. And I was just wondering how, how attractive are pensions nowadays and, you know, in terms of what happened during the crash as well, because a lot of people lost their shirt on that. Yeah, absolutely. Like we, we've seen it nationwide. Um, with the uh, the crash, say, 10 years ago, uh, people just left their money in, uh, if you're talking about funds, they left their money in high-yield equities. 
So the savvy investor was out probably around 06, 07 in deposits um, and they rode the storm out. But then the people who stayed in consensus and managed funds that would have an exposure of 80, 85, 90% in uh, equities, they're the people that got burned. Yeah. Unfortunately for people who were close on retirement, yeah. um, it took five, six, seven years for them to uh, get that money back. I, I mean, fr from the point of view of, of, of um, avoiding the sort of pension route, is is what you're talking about now? Is that is does that pay off pretty well in terms of uh, wealth management? Uh, investing in, in in property. Oh yeah, well, investing in property again, it gives certainly a cash flow. So like, what the beauty is now with uh, pension pots is that they can use uh, gearing within uh, for to acquire property. So certain lenders out there will give up to fifty percent loan to value, um, and again, they can use the power of leverage in a kind of conservative, controlled manner. So you're not going back to the 100% mortgage days where mm -hmm. there was kind of a hidden hope um, for growth. Um, so now it's much more uh, restricted. And again, this property within pension, as I already alluded to, you have all the tax incentives. But uh, your, your earlier question in relation to pensions, do they work? Mm -hmm. The pension is only a box. Yeah. Okay, what goes on within that box is entirely down to the individual. Mm -hmm. If you're going to invest in equities, Mm -hmm. You can invest in mm -hmm. equities, you invest in property. Once your comfort threshold to risk mm -hmm. is true to what you actually believe in, you won't have the big swings. But what, sorry. No, go ahead. What, what I'm sort of, if, if I come to you with, you know, with, with, uh, wanting to invest with you, um, and we know the volatility of the construction business as well, as well. How, how do you, um, I mean, how, how do you, how do you assuage a, a potential investor going into that? Because you hear a property, Creating a bubble and, and perhaps collapsing. There's a certain sense of nervousness around property there as well. Even to, like at the moment, there's uh, people are reading all the the paperwork that they uh, or the news that property prices have rose. They're probably at a plateau, um, and rents are uh, too dear. But mm -hmm. we've seen what's in the news today. Another ten years, we're going to have assumed rental growth um, because there's not enough output being uh, produced. So mm -hmm. uh, from that perspective, uh, when people come to us, there is negativity around property. I'm not going to lie. We've all seen what happened. It basically crushed the economy. But again, when we sit down and look at the mechanics and the fundamentals, is that rents are high. You can have a long-term tenant in the government if that's what you want. You might get more in the open market. But there's different strategies that you can use as well to basically sweat the asset and the floor plate of a particular building subject to regulations, of course, whereby you can turn... a usual family let a uh, single house into what we call a HMO which is a house of multiple occupancy whereby you might be able to have a bit of a uh, floor gain by turning one of the the living rooms into a uh, into an extra bedroom okay and again we don't encourage uh, whereby you would have uh, 10, 15 people living in a three-bedroom house. But again, there is an opportunity to get an extra bedroom out of a floor plate to basically uh, stretch your yield. So I, I think this is something that's done very well in um, regional cities across the UK. But in Ireland, there seems to be this persistent uh, regulatory climb away from that. So what you're describing there, we would have seen most typically, you know, two decades ago as pre-63s yeah. in and around Dublin. Um, and the regulations in terms of fire safety, they were exempt, but now we're coming to the end of the properties that are there and available that were exempt. It's very difficult to get a three-bed semi into a HMO, but that might just be my perception based on the regulations. So how are you seeing that done on the ground? So in the UK, it's very heavily regulated, the HMO in, uh, side of the, the industry. Um, 
over here in Ireland it's not as regulated, but we encourage the regulation to come because it will help with the with the uh, the rental crisis that's out there. So the sooner the better they bring in the regulation that we will actually have uh, the opportunity to plan for the future. Because what we have now is a lot of investors who are looking to buy these houses, they're looking to turn them into HMOs, but because there's no, uh, how will I say it, uh, accurate uh, policy on it, mm-hmm. um, that people are kind of hidden and hoping again. So. Yeah, but do you not think they're happening anyway? But um, I'm just wondering about the compliance because I don't think our enforcement, like if we just take the capital across DCC, we know that enforcement of private residential, they, they didn't, we haven't even hit the tip of the iceberg in terms of quality, in terms of regulations. But where inspections are done, we know that they're above 90% non-compliant. Yeah. So we know that this is a problem. We know it's a problem in Cork. We know it's a problem in Limerick. Yeah. Um, and they're only the inspections, but the inspections that have been done are barely 1% of the stock in yeah, the market. Yeah. So this seems like a good time to bring in regulations. Or, and I don't think it's even about the regulations. It's almost about clarifying the position or maybe clarifying where HMOs stand in the current regulations because we're dealing with this issue with co-living and there's a there's a definite concern that HMOs and co-living um, will be subject to very similar legislation which might not be helpful. Yeah, so look, I spoke to this uh, Stephen O'Sullivan, mm. PPN. We've um, actually had Stephen in before a property, property uh, Progressive Property Network um, yeah. meeting in Sandyford the first Tuesday yeah. of every month. Yeah, that's it. Um, so basically uh, what we kind of ascertain that is people do want HMOs, mm-hmm. okay, they do see the value in them. It helps investors and it helps the social problems around uh, the the lack of stock for people to live in. And mm-hmm. um, so again, myself and Stephen, uh, we spoke a lot on this recently. And the sooner the better this regulation comes in, we will have clarity and people can actually start to plan a business. You see all the time now that the uh, the overseas companies are coming in. They're buying a lot around the liberties and whatnot, hoping to turn stuff into co-living. Um, I, I saw that that's actually um, those plans have been granted to the collective. Yeah, so again, the smaller investor that's not institutional, will uh, they will want to do that, um, again, to increase their yield. Um, but uh, I just feel that there's a lot of scepticism and people see it as a dirty word within the industry um, mm-hmm. uh, because of all the negativity that you would have read over the last three years. So I would encourage the... Uh, government and the powers that be to come out and actually set the regulation. Let me ask you a question too. Um, Irish people, do they see the the house as as a place that they're going to live in for the next twenty years, or as an investment from from your from from what you hear? Yeah, look, there's there's commentators out there internationally um, that talk about uh, property, whether you should own your own house or not. Different countries, they have a different philosophy towards property. It's something that you can rent, something that you can. Uh, that you don't have to take the depreciation if it, the, the prices fall. Again, it's entirely down to uh, the the culture in the country. But I think our culture, after our history, um, being a victim of feudal systems, uh, people want to own their own home. And the majority of people, I would say that 99.9% of our client bank would uh, own their own home. And again, they tiptoe into residential investment property and whatnot in the hope of uh, creating passive cash flow. Right, yeah, because I see you've got, you've got a property training company as well. Yeah, so that's something that uh, has popped up recently. Um, we've had a lot of people, a lot of inbound queries about uh, being able to buy properties through pension and whatnot. Yeah. So we've come together, my brother Eddie, uh, background in education, um, Paul Green, uh, a construction man, um, and myself, finance. We came together and set up a company called Platinum Property Training. Um, a lot of people have been going to the UK um, and other jurisdictions for property training where a lot of the uh, how do I say a lot of the course content was kind of 
applicable on a macro level but when you try to pull it back mm-hmm. to the fundamentals and the operating uh, environment within an Irish context a lot of it doesn't work um, so and and actually I, I think that maybe there isn't there isn't an appreciation of how many people do travel to the UK to do these courses and then come back and they try the strategies particularly yeah. around HMOs uh, off market sourcing and below market value sourcing yeah. and then they realise that actually uh, estate agencies in Ireland operate on a, on a slightly different basis as well Absolutely. and landlord mentality can be very different yeah. So, um, but I, I think it's worth pointing out that a decade and a half ago we actually did have this type of training in Dublin there used to there was at least two or three different groups yeah. that were running training because landlords actually a lot of them are not necessarily accidental but they start quite small but there was no formal training for them so it's exceptionally important particularly around areas such as tax legal structure of owning the property these are all things that actually there isn't a comprehensive guide to this in Ireland and I know we get emails from investors from overseas looking to where is the one source for this. It doesn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, I think property training in Ireland, uh, when people are going overseas and whatnot, they kind of they're hunting strategies and yield rather than looking at the fundamentals of the structures that you should actually hold the property within. And hmm. um, we would see the uh, financial planning and property training highly correlated because if people buy the structures, uh, buy their property within the correct structure at the start. They will avail of different uh, relief schemes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. if they buy, uh, just to touch on pensions, mm-hmm. there's tax-free rent, tax-free growth. If people are uh, have a company and they're buying for the long term, and um, so it's more tax efficient to buy it that way. But again, people can buy through company structures and SPVs, whereby they can trade property and uh, have tax advantages there in relation to capital gains tax and whatnot. And what's your typical person that would come to you looking for training? Anybody, like just people who are living the chasing the American dream, and um, within the country, within this country. Country, yeah, um, we still have a Celtic dream. That's it. Um, so we've uh, people who ha- might have one to three units. There's accidental landlords. There's people that actually don't have money, but want to get involved in property. So they're looking at deal source and opportunities. And oh, would it be accidentally meeting you by default as a result for the properties they have? Or, or yeah, well, we've only established this um, <clears throat> recently enough. Um, so going forward, like we uh, plan to roll out across the country, but where it's coming to us now is through our client bank. Uh, people wanting training that would have inherited property don't know what to do with it and um, people who have properties and can't sell it so they want to know about assisted sales and whatnot so there's plenty of strategies from rent to rent to lease options so we'll be uh, mentoring people on that. So there's a hunger out there for it? There is a hunger but the importance of having it in Ireland is that I was at an event there recently um, and they were talking about lease options whereby you can basically uh, take a lease off somebody uh, who has a property and you'll pay the mortgage for them and you'll uh, have rent to rent. Yeah that kind of idea on a lease option but the problem um, that I have with that is that a lot of accidental landlords in this country are still on trackers but if you were going to rent that particular property out it was your primary dwelling you have to get consent from the bank so if you go for consent from the yeah. bank you'll yeah. be on a buy to let mortgage of probably 5%, 4%, 3% depending um, on what you lock in on and you're letting a tracker go that's just a couple of points above uh, zero so um, yeah so when I queried that at the training that we were at um, the consensus was like don't worry about it but Again, from an Irish context, that's why we want people to understand what you can and can't do. It's mm. totally different in the UK. Even the bankruptcy laws in the UK are different. So if people have a buy-to-let portfolio and it falls apart, and they can go bankrupt in, in and out in 12 months, whereas over here... And would you advise domestic investors to look to the UK to, to invest in, in property order? Well, there's a the whole Brexit thing at the moment where yeah. people don't know where they stand. Yeah. Again, um, they're in the UK, you've got the currency play, you've got the European Union law, 
that will probably change at some case so, or at some stage in the near future. So again, like there's fantastic yields here that we um, spoke about before. In Dublin, you're getting 8%, 9%, 10% on single lets. Um, a lot of receiver sales are out there as well, unfortunately, for people who have to give back their properties and whatnot. But because the rent is driving on, like uh, there's no place like home at the moment for investing. So it's quite buoyant. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, did you see in, um, I think it was the Sunday Business Post on Sunday, Pat David, Chief Executive of IPAV, was talking about how private landlords are leaving the market despite booming rents because of more onerous regulations, because yeah. of a tax system that doesn't favour private landlords in the same way that it favours institutional landlords. Yeah, absolutely. So what we see, we see people that would sell property mm-hmm. um, in an apartment block because it's uh, capped with the rent, uh, the rent hike of 4%, um, and they would buy another unit in the same block purely because they be, the shackles are on them for what rent they can charge. So again, the legislation is different on a personal, individual, or a institutional basis. So again, until that, there's more alignment in there, you will see more and more landlords leaving. And again, as I mentioned there today on Facebook, um, is that hopefully with the, uh, the rent uh, problems that we have out there, and there's talk that are going to go on for another 10 years. Hopefully there'll be some kind of government incentive there to get landlords back into the market. And that's where Platinum Property Training will come in to show people how to structure things correctly from the start. Where yeah. do you see the business going at the moment? I mean, there's there's a lot of... Uh, it's not really moving at the moment. I mean, despite what we heard this week in, in terms of, of new bills and so forth. Where do you think it's going yourself at the moment? I, I just think that there's more, more and more people are moving out and out again for these new sites that are being built. Dublin, there's not an awful lot of sites that are being built. Like you see cranes moving around, but it's mainly down the Docklands and that. Down, down, well, I'm, I mean, yeah. the big news this week was 28,000 yeah. commencement notices, which was mm. great. Mm. But in, in an earlier report, it was actually construction output levels and activity yeah. levels are actually down to the lowest they've been in six years. Yeah. So that's not going to help the, the crisis that we're in at the moment. So, again, there's people uh, moving into areas that um, they probably wouldn't have moved in um, historically purely because of the, the price of property the way it's going again. So landlords um, have an opportunity here if the government are on uh, side uh, to come back into the market and basically uh, help help with the crisis. When does the training kick off, Richie? So we've got a seminar on the 23rd and 24th of November in Dublin. Um, it's in uh, Platinum HQ there at the back of the Red Cow in Ballymount. And um, we have a 13,000 square foot office there. Um, so the 23rd November starts at 8am and um, we'll be talking again the things that you, you mentioned on tax on the strategies that you can employ and uh, basically how to trade property and have passive income long term so very good that's great uh, Richard, that was Richard Collins Richard Collins CEO and founder of Walford Private thanks again for, for coming in Richard after the break we have estate agent Owen Riley to talk to us so stay with us Casting from the Dundrum Town Centre, this is Dublin South FM. Hi folks, it's Paddy Cunningham here letting you know that you can join me each Tuesday evening for a brand new country music show right here on Dublin South FM. Each Tuesday from 8pm, Country Roads is going to bring you the best in Irish and American country music, looking at that week's country chart and a featured artist. So why not join me each Tuesday evening from 8pm right here on Dublin South FM for Country Roads. The best in Irish and American country music on Dublin South FM with Paddy Cunningham.
Do you like funk and soul? Are you into big brass sections that are tighter than Prince's trousers? Do you like bass lines that are so filthy that they should be put in the kitchen sink and washed with the dishes? Then tune into Bowl of Soul with me, Porig Dooney, every Tuesday night at 7pm, only on Dublin South 93.9 FM. There'll be funk, soul, and a nice bit of good-natured wholesome crack thrown in for good measure. That's Bowl of Soul, every Tuesday at 7pm, only on Dublin South 93.9 FM. 8 o'clock Saturday nights on Dublin South, 93.9 FM, means Pop Gear, with me, legendary drag queen Veda, and... Me, Ian. Ian, my straight mate, Ian. It's a show for people who think that the coolest thing about a car is a car radio. We love classic pop, so if you love classic pop, join us every Saturday night at 8 o'clock... On 93.9 Dublin South FM. FM? I'm so FM. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. Here in Dublin South FM with Carl Tan and myself, Brian Fox. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. So as mentioned before the break, we're now joined by estate agent Owen Riley. Thanks for coming in, Owen. Thank you. So, sorry, no, go ahead, please. Yeah. Owen, you would have heard what uh, Richie had to say there in terms of the Dublin market. I'm sure you have a... Um, a very keen perspective on what's happening on the ground. How many branch offices do you have at the moment, or uh, right now? Uh, four. And when uh, when did you first establish? Uh, January 2008 is when I started trading. And four branches now in yeah. Milltown, Docklands? Uh, two in Docklands, actually, and one in Portobello. Very good. That's amazing growth. So, and congratulations you. to your team as well. Um, in terms of what Richie was saying, does that echo the experience you're feeling on the ground? Well, I think um, in our experience, there's a lot of different tiers to the to the sales market. I mean, the, the rental market, as you're discussing there, is very dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in the sales market, we're seeing a lot of different uh, tiers open up. So, for example, we would see the market up to 400,000 in Dublin behaving very different to the market, say, over a million. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in our experience, the, the market up to 400 is, is quite strong. Um, in a lot of cases, um, it's been driven really by first-time buyers. If, if you were to ask me, the main difference between the market today and a year ago is the, um, uh, the amount of first-time buyers in the market, and they're consistently now outbidding investors, in our experience. Oh, really? Um, Which is the way it should be. Absolutely. Is that um, because of confidence, do you think, Owen, or, or why? I mean, what is it? Well, I think the main thing driving first-time buyers is the rental market. Right. So they want to it get just doesn't make any sense to rent anymore. They, they right? want to get out yeah, of the rental yeah, market. Yeah. And uh, because in a lot of cases, and, and we've done this analysis ourselves and we would mention it in our marketing, it's it's cheaper to pay the mortgage than pay yeah, the rent. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, I think that's the number one thing motivating um, first-time buyers. And I think investors, um, I think it's just less attractive today than it was a year ago. So what has changed? Um, I think if you look at... Price in, price inflation in Dublin is now has now cooled. Right, um, exactly. Yeah. Um, however, <coughs> there's still growth based on our transactions. The, the growth's about one point nine percent this year. But I think from an investor's point of view, if you take five or six percent annual growth out of the equation, it's immediately less attractive. And I know you were talking there about regulation, and um, so whether it's banning short-term uh, lets, which in general I favour, <coughs> but the the there's a, I think there's a case showing the baby out with the bathwater there. Mm-hmm. And then I think um, rent cap legislation, 
um, increase in tenants' rights, which again I'm in, I'm in favour of. But all this extra regulation combined with, I mean, the taxation is a topic for yeah over ten years now. Mm. Well, not just taxation, but the the unfairness between the different tax if you're a private investor as opposed to an institution an institutional investor, and that shouldn't be the case. Or, or even commercial mm-hmm. property investors. Yeah. Um, and it and, and it is unfair. And I and I do think, and the the data is starting to, to prove this, that the the amount of available uh, rental stock is is negating rather than increasing. Um, now I know you talked there about the. Um, the, the Minister Murphy was coming out with some positive news today about commencement notices. A lot of those uh, residential units, if you if you analyse it, is a lot of it is PRS or private rental sector apartments. And whilst we whilst that kind of extra supply is welcome, that very much by design is catered towards the uh, the high end of the rental market, uh, which we would suggest kind of starts at two five plus. A lot of these developments are going to be they're going to be luxury by design, and um, they're going to have on site amenities like concierge. Uh, gyms, uh, some of them have... Where would they typically be located? Um, well, the Docklands, they're Docklands, very, yeah. very prevalent in mm. the Docklands, Dublin Central, but you're also going to see them in the south suburbs. There's, They're going to be in Dundrum, where we're sitting where we're sitting right now. And it's very understandable that developers have, have moved into that sector because it's it's very lucrative mm. um, and it's less risky. So you can forward, this, forward mm. sell the, the development to... Mm of say 100 apartments to an institutional inv- uh, investor who will buy them off off plans and uh, and then all the developer has to focus on is the, is the construction oh, yeah. programme. Yeah. You know, um, the alternative it, it, is to deal yeah. with 100 different owner-occupiers or investors. Yeah, but also um, at a later point, I, I think that sometimes the, the lack of developer funding um, is something that doesn't get talked about much at the moment, but the pillar banks actually are quite limited in what they're doing in terms of development funding and it really is the old adage that they really only give it to you when you don't need it so in fact we're still meeting private developers who are uh, depending on alternative development financing and paying upwards of 11% for that in fact I had a developer yesterday tell me that in recent years he's paid up to 20% well, eleven percent sounds like good value mm. compared to what I've heard. Like the the, the average um, interest rate I've heard of is fifteen percent, mm-hmm. and and other tie-ins as well upon completion and how well the mm-hmm. how well the scheme sells, and so it is understandable that developers are um, pointing because mm-hmm. with the change in the regulations as well, the the units on average can be can be smaller, and in a lot of cases there's no parking um, provision. And it, it, basement car parks are very expensive, so already you're you're reducing the construction cost or the cost of the development, and, and the you, profits are higher. You we, don't need your dual aspect, but tell me because we've had we've had people sitting in that chair um over the last nine ten months now, and there's been very mixed reaction to that. Mm. So what's your take on that? Well, I, I think it it depends on who you are. I think from from the I mean there are unintended consequences. Um, so, for example, these developments won't be on offer to first-time buyers. Um, they won't be on offer to buyers trading down. Um, other unintended consequence, in a lot of cases, the Par 5 or social housing won't be delivered on site. Um, why is that? First of all, the buyers don't want it on site. And second of all, these developments tend to have high management charges. And there are uh, limits that the council can uh, spend on on um, management charges. Um, so they are some of the some of the unintended consequences. And and we also are building apartments on average that are that are smaller. Um, 
and yeah. um, but in in terms of the social housing um, part five, uh, you have to look at getting bang for buck as well when that's state money. You know, is buying into luxury apartments just because you have a right to do so? Is that a smart spend? Well, I think um, my own personal opinion is that um, these units could be designed day one um, and, and catered into the development. So they could be in their in their in their own section and maybe have their own entrances. So you're not walking by a concierge or access to the to the gym. So that that's one thing. I, my own opinion. I think they need to to look at that. These have to be. Um, I think the the part the design around the part five and the agreement has to happen at design stage. Has yeah. to be factored into the and design. That's day one. that's a really um, contentious point at the moment because one of the failings that was pointed to uh, for certain schemes that part five was clearly evident as you drive in and in fact a developer proudly taking you around his development or her development will generally point out the successes that you can't tell which ones are part five mm. which is actually the way it should be if we want to avoid certain antisocial behaviour I think anybody who's driven um, uh, is it Beach Hill mm. um, around Donnybrook you know would be familiar with that there's a, a vast difference um, that you know driving in you know which side of the road to park your car so these are these are legacies of a time mm. in the past that we don't want so mm. I'm not sure that um, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, delivering different quality units is is the way to achieve that. Well, if you want the units on site in the development, mm. I don't I don't see what the I don't see what the alternative is or the. the but maybe they shouldn't be on site. Well, true. Which caused uh, well, problems in well, the past. Well, as well. sorry to to open up another conversation. I think relying on the on the private sector to deliver these units is has utterly failed. Um, so I think they need to get back to what they were doing. In, uh, the, why in is the that? Uh, why, why do you think they fail? Well, it's first of all, it's open open to the cyclical nature of of the market. I mean, if you look at uh, O'Devney Gardens, there was, there was yeah, positive sure. news there in the sure, council. Sure. But I mean, O'Devney Gardens. Uh, I remember before I went out of my own pricing up at O'Devney Gardens. Um, that must be. 15, 15, 15 years ago. So, mm. so it's very open to the to the to the cyclical uh, nature of the market. But I think, um, you know, the market has now moved on. The cost of construction has moved on. These units have got very expensive very quickly, and uh, I just think that um, the the council are not in control because they don't own the land, and the market has moved on. They, there's the criteria that they they have set budgets that they can pay for the units. There's set budgets they can pay for the management charges. So I just think they have to look at that whole thing. But uh, like one thing I would say is, uh, of course, extremely in favour of, of the emergence of the PRS sector. And mm -hmm. th these are going to be very professionally uh, managed um, blocks with institutional investors taking a long term uh, view. But as I was saying earlier, there are unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's an interesting one, and again, it's something that we've discussed here at length on the show. But I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think that the PRS has been heavily criticised for things for other failings in the market. Um, but actually, back to the rental and the higher rental in particular. Um, are you noticing a slowdown at the higher level of the rental market? Because that's something that's been pointed out to us here in the last month by another South Dublin letting agent. Yeah, I think um, the there are price ceilings out there. Un mm -hmm. unqu unquestionably and you know one of our core markets is is Dublin Docklands mm -hmm. um, which is probably the strongest rental market in, in the city given the amount of um, young particularly technology really? uh, I thought there were a lot of corporates in there though that were just um, had, had for, for staff that were passing through and so forth yeah well you, you would think so but to, to give an example um, Google don't go on leases 
for example, Google would be a big customer of ours, but Google don't like to go in the lease. They like the lease to go in the name of the employee because they, they found in the past they were drawn into landlord-tenant disputes if they're... Because if you talk to someone in Twitter, the chances are they worked in Google at one stage and, and, and same, in, same in Facebook. But our, our average rental in, in, in Docklands is... Uh, just over 2,400 per month. That's For a two-bed. Yeah, that's our average rental. Now, we would say there, the, the luxury market starts at kind of 3,000 euros a month, say for a two-bed, which perhaps might have water views or a higher... Um, and what are the stock levels of the premium quality like that? Well, that's increasing all the time if you look at the likes of um, Capital Dock, mm-hmm. um, Six Hanover Quay, um, there's other schemes coming online like Dublin Landings in the North Docklands, which Greystar have acquired. So they're all luxury developments. Uh, I don't know if you've had a tour of Capital Dock, but it's it's like walking around a hotel. I haven't been inside yet, but I'm <laughs> no. looking forward to uh, it. What makes it so attractive down there, though, as a matter of interest? Because there isn't much, uh, much, much shopping facilities. I mean, I suppose there's only a few minutes walk to the uh, to the city centre and to Grafton Street, I suppose. Well, I've a vested interest now. I'm living down there okay. for I'm living down there twelve years, and right. I started my business there. Look, I think it's a it's a really vibrant um, okay. neighbourhood. Right. Well, um, there's great yeah. selection of uh, cafes and and restaurants. There's great um, personalities, um, owner occupiers in their businesses. Um, as you say, it's it's on the doorstep of the city centre. You can mm-hmm. walk to town in fifteen minutes. You can walk to the Viva Crow Park. Um, you're on the Dart, you're on the Lewis. So I think as a neighbourhood, the, the architecture is very interesting. It's on water. I think people are always drawn to water. And it's the most cosmopolitan neighbourhood in Dublin. Um, would you believe this year only 7% of our tenants in Docklands are Irish? Seven? Yeah, which is quite a, a quite a, a startling stat. It's, al- it's also very disproportionate <clears throat> because we know that the stats are uh, for people buying in Dublin, one in every five wasn't born in Ireland, mm. but actually only 7% of the tenants there. I, I'm just wondering, how do we reconcile that? Does that mean that, that it, is that reflective of who's gaining employment in the big employers? I think that's a big factor. I mean, 63% of our tenants in, in Docklands are working in the tech sector. Mm-hmm. And the balance will be made up. Uh, fin- banking, I'm sure. Yeah, well. financial mm-hmm. service would be mm-hmm. quite high, by 25%. <clears throat> um, I think it reflects a couple of things. Um, I'm not. I th- I think Irish professionals are being paid the same as the foreign mm-hmm. professionals, but I think that attitude to high rent is still there. Mm. And I think. Um, Do you think Irish people are more reluctant to, to pay, pay for premium? Mm. Premium or high mm-hmm. high rent? I mean, um, I think the the attitude to rent just being dead money. I I still think is very prevalent. So mm-hmm. what we've seen. I mean, when, when we first started looking at our data which is probably about five years ago, 65% of our tenants were Irish. And that figure has just been getting lower and lower. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the attitude to high rents. But also, if you, your typical Irish professional might have a car, that yeah. car has to be parked Yeah, somewhere. yeah, well, that, That's yeah, very expensive. That was my other point I was going to bring up. Sorry. And I think in the tech uh, companies, a lot of them, they're getting their meals on site, they're getting free gym, yeah. they're getting free yeah. banking. Mm-hmm. So they're, yeah. they're net. But I'd also imagine too, they're just passing through. They don't see this as a permanent home. They're just d- Dublin for next two or three years and maybe another city wherever uh, after that, perhaps. I think, I think that's their, that's why they come here initially yeah. for, the, for the job and maybe the experience yeah. uh, of, a, of, of Dublin as a, as a place to live. However, um, there are foreign professionals in Docklands now who consider Docklands home and we see these people uh, buying now. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Actually, you, you've actually sold the placemaking element of the Docklands quite well there. Um, do you have a, a personal question, but do you have children? Do you? Yes, I have a little boy, Jean. He's four. Um, so our facilities there, because that's one of the criticisms that we get here that um, we've heard in the show, particularly around the PRS, that we're developing uh, apartments and we're developing coffee shops uh, in underneath. But maybe the space for children and families isn't there. So it's actually really good to hear from somebody who's working and raising a family there. So the the, the crash uh, options are good. Mm-hmm. Restaurants are good. They're very um, child friendly. There's a great restaurant there on on um, Hanover Quay. I've no shares in it, but called Herb Street, <laughs> and they, you know they they welcome children. There, there's there's no shortage of coffee shops. Yeah, um, and I know it's dog friendly because yeah. I bring my own dogs down yeah. to the coffee shops. There, it's actually one of the most dog friendly places yeah. in Dublin. But it, it it would be it would be fair to say it's lacking in green space. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but is that because it's on the water? I think it's because on. I mean, it is Grand Canal Dock itself is an hour strip. However. Um, there is a lovely green area now down outside Capital Dock and there's another park called the Benson Street Park that Docklands has been waiting for for, for 10 years yeah. which is going in um, behind um, or beside Six Hanover, Six Hanover Quay. Is that actually happening? That uh, That is absolutely happening. Okay. There's a block in front called the Benson Building mm-hmm. which we've just sold and as soon as construction is finished there which is sh- scheduled for next summer the, the park will happen. Because I know in um, Smart Docklands community workshops, that was something that was seen as a dangled promise that it was never delivered. Mm. And in fact, the original, um, I think going back 10 or 12 years, the original drawings and plans are still in the Smart Docklands office on show. And it's it's a source of annoyance at this point for the local community. So yeah. uh, is there a commitment to that going ahead? Oh, it's, it's definitely going to happen. Um, uh, we we've even uh, we've included the what it's going to look like in one of our virtual tours, which I which I can did show you update you. the plans from um, twelve years ago? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but th- there's other projects in Docklands. You know, there's a project to to green the Docklands, um, but a lot of these projects can't happen like the park until these. We need to get the heavy construction crews off off site, mm-hmm. and then as soon as that happens, there's going to be a great greening project, and that park in in South Docklands. People have been crying out for that. But to talk about other options like Pier Square, beautiful little Victorian square off Pier Street is a two minute walk from Grand Canal Dock. Mm-hmm. And Marion Square is a lot closer mm. than, than people yeah. realise, yeah, less, yeah. less than less than 15 minute walk. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's an interesting one. We're seeing this area transform. Um, the one criticism, not only do I have personally, but in fact, somebody said it to me at an event there on Thursday night. They were staying in the Docklands and they couldn't find anywhere outside of their hotel to eat after nine o'clock. And I thought that couldn't possibly be the case in this day and age have you know the Docklands you're talking about it being a very cosmopolitan area and particularly when um, the, uh, particularly when we have um, a more multicultural occupancy there as well how are we still stuck with early dining you don't know what hotel they were staying in do you they were staying in the marker <laughs> and they could eat there right okay I'm genuinely surprised to hear that yeah. now H- HQ only shut down you probably read Weatherspoons have just, yeah. just bought it but there's um there's there's Harry's Bar right beside it, and there's a beautiful restaurant called Charlotte Key where the Ocean Bar used to be. Okay, really. Nice. I haven't been there. I'm, I'm obviously way out of the loop on, mm. on, on because um, I my my quick my association with that is something like the Docklands in, in the UK at night or Wall Street at night. But I obviously have to mm. pay a visit. Well. Uh, we'll do restaurant uh, recommendations separately mm. so we're going to take a short break now but stay tuned mm. as we'll be discussing more with Owen after the break about PropTech and the future of a state agency in Ireland Community Radio for South Dublin This 
is Dublin South FM. Could you and your dog spend one hour per week bringing special moments to people in care centres? Or would you like one of our volunteer visiting teams to come and visit your care centre? At Irish Therapy Dogs, we have a dedicated interest in the use of pet therapy for people in long-term or daily residential care. A professional organisation aimed at providing a pet therapy service on a national basis. If you with your dog would like to get involved, or if you would like one of our visiting teams to visit your care centre, then please call us on 01544-6198 or visit irishtherapydogs.ie for more information. Do you need a professional looking website or graphics for your company? Does your current website work on all modern devices such as tablets and smartphones? If not, you are losing business. Preamp Digital Media provides a full range of solutions to give your company the edge in today's digital world. Please visit www.preampdigitalmedia.com for all the information you need. That's www.preampdigitalmedia.com. I've always provided. That's what I do. Even when the job shut down, I somehow managed. But the pressure chips away at your confidence. I felt alone. I needed to talk things out. I learned Samaritans isn't just for when you hit rock bottom. I'm glad I called. It's always worth getting problems big and not so big off your chest. Call Samaritans. No pressure, no judgment. We're here for you. Anytime, talk to us. Free call 116-123 or go to samaritans.ie. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. With Carl Tom and myself, um, uh, Carl Tom and myself, Brian Fox, and in studios is it with us? Uh, still with us is estate agent Owen Riley. So yes, okay. Well, yeah, well, uh, Owen, this is where we get into this is where we get into the fun stuff because the third section of our show every week is always about prop tech, and this is a real hobby horse of mine, which you well know, um, and. You're one of the firms that has really embraced technology, but in maybe perhaps a different way. So you were one of the first uh, state agencies in Ireland, not just to take in online bidding, but to find that the offering wasn't ideal and to go ahead and solve the problem yourself. So you might just talk to us about the technology and the innovation that's going on in your office. So um, as a company, we've always been focused on technology and we would... I guess I would look at how consumers have interacted with us over the last kind of 11 years and, you know, how that has changed. And for for many years since I've been an estate agent, I've heard customers give out about the bidding process, for example, the lack of transparency and um, the, the, the paperwork involved and having to meet face to face to sign, buying off plans typically a floor a floor plan up on a wall and say you know there you go madam there's your plot give me a booking mm-hmm. deposit please um so having looked at all of that um we decided to try and come up with um ways we can add efficiency add add transparency and as part of that process of course we had a look at what was available uh, in the marketplace and um obviously prop tech it's it's uh, it's very exciting there's a, there's there's a lot going on there's some fantastic um products out there and, and and we looked at some of those. In the end, we, we decided to maybe, we decided in the end to design our own platform where we could add more features um, to it that we felt we needed. I think what we found in short was that there was some fantastic product that only solved one issue for us, but but not the three or four issues we, we wanted to solve. So we decided to des- design our own. 
Um, yeah. And another real innovation that we've really embraced and, and that a lot of the industry is now embracing is, is virtual reality tours. So actually, you mentioned earlier that you have two offices down in the Docklands, mm. but they're not necessarily two offices as we know it, because one of your offices is the, the virtual reality suite. So how has that been? How has that been embraced by the development community and prospective buyers and tenants? Well, we, we, we use it to showcase a, a building initially in the Docklands uh, called the Benson Building. And we um, the developers uh, for that, and I mean the, the VR developers, developed a, a world-class VR marketing strategy. And we really felt that that was going to be a, a, a great um, example of what could be done. Now, what's, what's completely changed since has been the emergence of the PRS uh, sector. The VR was really designed for, for owner-occupiers mm-hmm. and single, in, single investors. But the, the reaction has been, uh, has been very good. Um, it gives buyers an insight, re- a true insight into what they're buying down to the interior finishes in the, in the kitchen, in the bathroom. Uh, and most importantly, shows how a, a scheme will, will, will stand beside adjoining developments and also show them the exact view from their unit. Uh, so the, the response was, was, was really, really good. Really, yeah. really good. I'm consistently blown away by how immersive technologies like augmented reality and virtual reality um, are changing. So most recently, um, most recently, we've been involved in a project that's watching where when you're in virtual reality, where your eyes are trained to and then turning that into data. So, for example, seeing okay. what people yeah. when they're when they're in the VR tour, uh, particularly of a proposed development as opposed to one unit, where they're looking, where their eye is drawn to and reading into that. Mm. You know, why is that? And it, it's, it's actually a really good placemaking tool as well, because people aren't prepared for what they're about to see. So their eye is naturally drawn to wherever catches their attention for positive or for negative reasons sometimes. Um, but this is all actionable data that that's being used now. And I'm, you know, I, I think that virtual reality has a, has a huge part to play in that beyond just um, marketing mm. properties for sale. And I know in terms of planning, we're going to be seeing a lot more, uh, not just drone footage and and, and um, 3D mapping. We're, we're seeing an enhanced approach to digitizing the planning process which is really exciting and I think maybe a lot of that's going to happen around pullback mm. so um, in terms of adoption rates though you you have a relatively um, young team that have been with you maybe from early careers mm. so have you has any have, have your team they brought that in or innovation is it coming from you as a top down absolutely no we we would we would um i would welcome all opinions and and some of them are very opinionated um all negotiators in my firm can do their own virtual reality tours we do all we do vr tours on all our existing built properties and we find that's a tremendous marketing tool mm-hmm. i must i must have a look at this uh, i mean i'm hearing from carol i've never actually seen this call, call down to owen's office I in the docklands it sounds so i mean that idea too of the vr you know what your eyes and, and, and it's been picked up then mm-hmm. as to what your eye is actually mm-hmm. catching because each each individual obviously is, is different mm-hmm. but the VR in in, in, in unbuilt mm. um, developments is very exciting but but VR on existing properties and and just the whole efficiency of it like one is of the, that VR a 3d video really no it's not it's a it's a 360 um, yeah, hot spot mm-hmm. and then they're, they're they're knitted together but I mean mm-hmm. the, the technology is absolutely mm-hmm. amazing and um, the, the market leader in this is a company called Matterport mm-hmm. and we acquired a, a Matterport camera a couple of years ago at, at great cost 
um, but it's it's a brilliant marketing tool and it's just the whole efficiency of it one of the more efficient parts of being an estate agent is driving somewhere for 30 minutes on a Saturday to show someone a house who walks yeah. in and walks out yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, so yeah. using this technology yeah. you can send them a link they do yeah, a virtual well, tour yeah. um, you've, it has a digital dollhouse of the of the property so so what is what? because I'm, I'm I mean I, I, the first time I came across this is with Carl here mm. What's the reaction like from your your buying public to what you're talking about, as opposed to going out on site and looking at the house? They 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 love it. They uh, love it, and and it's effective as well. And have they come across this before themselves? As as, as I think increasingly, I, I think they? yeah, we're doing we're doing them now about maybe eighteen months, and and initially some people had never seen it before but I think I think increasingly increasingly are I mean they are from an, an estate agent's point of view they are time consuming the typical property takes about two hours um, to do, to do but they're time consuming and they're expensive as well mm-hmm. um, so you mentioned there you have a Matterport camera but mm-hmm. uh, actually for estate agents that I've spoken to um, both in Dublin and outside of Dublin you know they've certainly sp- spoken about um, the cost per home that's usually not one that the vendor is willing to take on so most early adopters estate agencies they actually have to foot the bill for that and not mm-hmm. all agencies mm-hmm. actually can absorb that um, so certainly two and three years ago vendors didn't see the benefit of this they didn't see the value of this adding to their marketing costs um, a couple of months ago we had Michael Kinsler from Kinsler Estates and he was the first agent outside of Dublin to use um, to use uh, um, this immersive experience for viewing and again it took a couple of months for vendors to start to see the benefit which of course they do and I think that that adoption has really progressed over the last number of years but what's really interesting is that the portals where all properties for rent and, and sale haven't facilitated this in the way that they should so yes there's an option to click through but actually um, the portals haven't kept pace with innovation which is something I think they're aware of themselves but I know you would have maybe a different view on how portals need to change beyond uh, hosting immersive technology experiences. Yeah, I think there. I think there has been a lack of innovation. I mean, I I, I remember like I'm, I'm old enough to when I first came into the industry, my home and Daft didn't um, exist. So really, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So when when I was an apprentice in the business, I was taking the pictures, getting them printed sticking them on the piece of paper and putting them in the window or you'd have your you'd have your little book of who your who your buyers are so you know Dafton and and my home who are the the main portals in Ireland they did revolutionize how we market mm-hmm. and 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 sell property and i think as as you said there carol i think they would acknowledge there has been a lack of innovation in 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 recent years and well, is that is that because of <coughs> the collapse uh, i should say collapse but the the, um, the the my home problem with with the Irish Times when when they, when they bought it over it suddenly just went pear shaped on them. Yeah, I think that would be. I think that factor. would be. I think that would be one factor. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think it's generous to say that's a factor. I mean, the reality oh, really? is they're just yeah, yeah, yeah. they're large organisations now. They're not very agile. They, to be honest, they weren't hungry enough to innovate when the time was ripe for innovation. And it's a little bit like uh, trying to turn a, a tanker. A, a tanker in an ocean you know it just takes too long so I think they, they've they been working on innovations for the last maybe two years but I just don't know um, you know certainly there's a difference I don't think we should speak about them together because I think there's a huge difference between the innovation that Daft is doing compared to the innovation sure. maybe that, that my home is doing yeah oh no, sure yeah. absolutely but, yeah, but yeah. to talk about innovation I mean Irish estate agents shouldn't be waiting around for other people to innovate the buying process mm-hmm. 
and, and I would include the portals in that, Irish agents should be looking to lead innovation. Mm. But how? How can they do that? Well, a cooperative has been formed of uh, Irish estate agents and th- there's a couple of goals uh, that the group has. Are these all independent estate agents? Um, larger, larger, larger groups involved as well. Okay. Um, I think... Um, there's a lot of things motivating different agents in different ways. Um, but they still embrace prop tech, though, would they? I mean, absolutely, you know. absolutely. Um, but I think uh, there's there's a lot of prop tech. Yeah, oh there's no, a lot of granted, there's granted, a lot of prop yeah, tech. Yeah. There's a lot of prop tech, prop tech mm-hmm. out there. But yeah. I think it, Irish agents need to look at what are the inefficiencies are from the consumer's point of view, be it search engines, be it getting data on buying um, a property. Like when you're making the biggest transaction of your life you should be able to look up on a given street what the last house, five houses sold for. What was the asking price? What was the selling price? Um, what was the profile of the buyer? How did they fund it? Agents have all of this, uh, agents have all of this information. So the, the goals of the group is to lead innovation and to decide on the best strategy to develop our own agent portal and take control of our own marketplace. Okay, that's interesting. How can people get involved in that? Um, well, there's a, there's a group working on it at the moment. By all means, contact me um, d- directly. We hope to have our first AGM in the in January. And the take up of interest and in people joining the group has been phenomenal all over the country. Um, and as I said, some are being motivated by different things. It could be their experiences with the portals, because let's be honest, there is a duopoly out there at the moment. Um, others by the lack of innovation and others by um, leading innovation. There's amazing things on the line, be it online bidding is already here, but what about uh, smart contracts, um, online mortgages? Um, I know, Carol, you've spoken a lot about the artificial intelligence and what it, it can do for the industry. Mm-hmm. So there's huge change on the way, but agents need to stop sitting around and waiting for other people to take the lead. Sure. We need to take the lead. You need some leaders. We live at that. That was uh, State Agent Owen Riley. Thanks for joining us today, Owen. It was very good of you to come in. Uh, you can get in touch with the show by emailing uh, at iPrideProperty.com or on, on Twitter at iRadio, iPropertyRadio. Okay, that's it, for, that's it from us in studio today. We'd like to thank our guests for joining us. Um, Owen, thank you so much for being here. And also I want to thank producer Katie Talon and Adam Duke on sound. We're back the same time next week from Carol Talon and myself, Brian Fox. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.